In a world that celebrates individuality and autonomy, too many of us struggle to form deep, meaningful relationships. Loneliness is the norm, rich friendships are rare, and the church is no exception. We long for real community, but often don't know how to get there. What will it take to develop healthy friendships? That's the description from today's book. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review The Sacred Us, A Call to Radical Christian Community by Justin Kendrick. 240, 240 pages published by David C. Cook in September 2022. It's available in Amazon Kindle for uh, $9.99 and in Faith Life for February, it's at a deep discount of $4.99. Now, before I go into the today's book, I just want to say that they, there is a free book from Faith Life and that is 40 Prayers for Lent, Prayers for Your Church and Small Group by David Close. Now, I didn't want to review a prayer book or another prayer book, so I thought that I would just look through the list of discounted books. And this book, The Sacred Earth, I thought to be the most uh, addresses the most pertinent issue for the church today, the idea of community. Now, Justin Kendrick is the lead pastor of Vox Church, which he founded in 2011 with a small group of friends on the doorstep of Yale University. It's a young church in the least church region of the US, and it has grown to multiple locations. So its apparent success is explained in this book. It's about uh, intentional community. I mean, listen to this. The Vox Church has three core values, if you look up in the website. And those three core values are, number one, Jesus at the center. Number two, intentional community. And here there are seven key elements to an intentional community, according to Vox Church. And number three, we have a city church. Sorry, city mission. So that is those those are the three core values. Now, why am I spending so much time talking about the core values of Vox Church? Uh, have they sponsored this podcast? No. Am I looking for a new church? No. It's because after I finished reading this book and I wanted to find out a bit more about uh, Justin Kendrick and his church, I realized that, hey, these are seven key elements of Vox Church's core value, uh, this uh, intentional community. Hey, these are the seven chapters of today's book. <laughs> so I guess today's book is a required reading for membership classes at uh, Vox Church because it explains in book form uh, what uh, the intentional community that uh, they aspire towards. Now, having said that, is the book any good for the rest of us, for those of us who don't plan to be a church member in Vox Church? So let's open the book. The first three chapters gives the background and the need for radical Christian community. And you can see why there is a need from the titles of those chapters. Uh, chapter 1, Friendly but Friendless. Number 2, The Theology of Us. Number 3, Rechurching Your Life. So those three chapters gives you the, the, the impulse, the, the need, compels you to find uh, the solution to the problems of, um, of people having a lack of community within the church. 
Now, the next seven chapters are the seven key elements of intentional community. So these are the core of the book, the meat of the book. So chapter four, proximity provides opportunity. Uh, chapter five, vulnerability uh, creates connection. Next is discipleship sets direction. Next, fun amplifies grace. Then mission drives adventure. Then sacrifice matures love. And then uh, the last of the seven, boundaries sustain growth. So uh, that's not all. We still have another chapter, chapter 11, which is titled A True Friend where Kendrick concludes the book with a final call to the reader to join him in a radical Christian community. And he gives a powerful, I think, uh, exposition of Leviticus 14 verse 1 to 7. And, and the whole chapter just directs the reader's attention to Jesus Christ. So he wants to show in the last uh, chapter, just um, pushing uh, Jesus all the way, all right? So that our last impression is actually of Jesus. He shows how all seven elements can be linked to Jesus. For example, proximity provides opportunity. He writes, Jesus led the way by coming as close to us as supernaturally possible. So this is how I will do today's book review. I'll do the, the simple one, the simple structure, which is I'll do the good, the bad, and the conclusion. So I'll take one good chapter, one bad chapter, and then I'll just wrap the whole uh, review. Now, each chapter in this book begins with some introductory quotes and they are followed by the main text and then it ends uh, with a few uh, chapter uh, questions, okay, some uh, reflective questions. So, uh, my pick, my pick for a good chapter is chapter four, which is the first element in his list of seven. Proximity creates opportunity. He quotes in the beginning Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I quote, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. End quote. So I truly believe this quote and I really think that it's so important in, in today's world. And now you probably like me are already convinced that physical presence is needed. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer could not foresee this, but, but um, in this COVID or post-COVID world, uh, some are thinking that online is good enough. But you and I, we both know, and we are convinced that online can never replace the physical. And we are convinced, not just from our experience, I hope, of joining the chorus of praise, listening to the voices of your neighbor, praising God, and then sitting side by side, listening to the word preach. It's not just this experience that uh, convinces us, but we are also convinced from the word. We are convinced by reading the Old Testament assembly. We are convinced by reading the New Testament letters to the churches. And also when we look at how the end times end, we see this vision of peoples gathered from every tribe and every tongue. So we know that it will be a physical presence, not a metaverse, not an online, but it is going to be a genuine bodily uh, physical presence in the end times. So that is where we are going. That is what God calls as good. And therefore, that is the reward of our faith to be within the presence of God's people. Uh, that's not how uh, Kendrick writes this chapter. <laughs> so um, Kendrick um, has lived uh, uh, in this life. He has lived in this life uh, more radical, unorthodox, countercultural, and some would say... Uh, invasive 
form of community. <laughs> so the way he looks at it is, uh, actually, I just uh, quote from what he writes here. All right. So I quote, For most people today, the idea of being consistently present and available to other Christians feels pretty unrealistic. Take a few moments and consider the potential disruption it would cause to your schedule. You have your career and you're finishing up school. You've got young kids and you still get together regularly with your friends from college. You have family commitments. Your son plays travel sports. You have a lot going on. End quote. Then he goes on just to describe a bit. But then later he writes, okay, and uh, he writes, I quote, When my wife Chrissy and I moved to Earl Street in the Westville section of New Haven, Connecticut, we were in our late 20s and already had two kids. We had just started our first church, but we had been experimenting with living in intentional community for nearly 10 years. Now, he describes this uh, intentional community in the, in, in the introduction, in the first three chapters of the book. Um, so it's a bit crazy how he, has, he went through that process. But you get an idea of what it means uh, through this, uh, this uh, section, this paragraph. So let me continue. Our family bought a house with a small backyard and some friends we knew bought the house next door. Soon, friends from our church owned the houses in front, back and on, and on both sides of ours. I know that to some people, this might sound like a nightmare. And it certainly came with its challenges. But in that season of life, at that stage in our church, this experience was integral in teaching us the importance of proximity. We took down the fence. Yes, he took down the fence. And for some of us, that's crazy. But anyway, uh, let me continue. He, we took down the fence. We invited people to take their kids on the swings in our backyard anytime. Before we knew it, proximity took on a whole new meaning. I would often get home from work and find 30 people in our backyard. Kids were running around, someone was cooking on the grill. We would spontaneously start a game of wiffle ball or football. End quote. End quote. So you see over here is that this is simply a taste of this intentional community as lived by Justin Kendrick. It, is, uh, it starts off quite innocent enough in the beginning of the book where he just joins together in a small group and they really uh, live their lives together. But it becomes a bit crazy when you think about him getting married and still trying, not still trying, and still doing that thing where you bring people into your homes uh, that live together with you, next to you, around you sort of thing. And then he brings it out as you see in this, uh, in this uh, the one I just quoted, they buy houses next to each other so you have a community uh, as in the geographical a proximity of people just living around you, coming inside, outside your home, uh, uh, literally. So this is a, quite a crazy uh, experiment uh, for our, as, as we say, people who value our privacy, people who value our boundaries. Now, remember, there's actually a chapter on boundaries <laughs> in this book. So it's interesting to see how he describes and relates uh, his experiences to what he sees the radical Christian community should be. And he shares uh, these bits and pieces. And it's, uh, I like how these, uh, the chapters or what he's trying to teach are mildly flavored by these uh, anecdotes. Flavored in the sense that these uh, experiences and stories that he have are things that we don't, we don't normally uh, experience. We don't intend, at least some of us uh, don't intend, to live in such a uh, where our lives are truly an open book, where when we say it's an open door, uh, it's truly an open door. So it's a bit scary that this uh, notion of uh, intentional community as he lived. 
But at the same time, it's mildly flavoured, I said. I say mildly because the stories do not overpower the content, as far as I can tell. Uh, he has a, something he wants to teach, he wants to convey. And the stories, I think, uh, just come and go, but they don't... It's not. This book is not really a, a, a story, a biography of his experiences, but it's more of the how these experiences have led to these characteristics or elements that he thinks uh, churches should have. So, so, so for, for Kendrick, uh, so that means that Kendrick is not calling us to tear down our fences and uh, buy a hot tub in the backyard for neighborhood baptism. He wants us to move in our own ways from our own circumstances towards a radical Christian community. And you can see his heart in the questions he asks. Question three in this chapter is, I quote, Examine your living situation. Do you live alone? With friends? With family? Find one or two new ways you can use the space where you live to create greater opportunities for spiritual relationship. Should you host a small group? Should you rent a room? I would say is rent out a room. So, um, so you can see that uh, he is helping us to think through and just thinking about how we can be closer to the people around us. And hosting a small group is definitely an easier thing to do. So just moving towards that community if you are not living in that sense, living there in that sense. So even though Kendrick has lived what some of us would call a crazy life, an impossible life. Um, I invite you to read how, and I invite you to read how that part of his life turned out. He does explain that this, he uses those uh, words actually at that stage, at that moment. So it, he did not continue living in that way. And he does explain why uh, it through, as you read through the book. The important thing is that he does not present uh, in this book a model. He's not saying that I live this way and you should too. Um, the idea is something like when a mountain climber tells us of his journey going up Mount Everest. And we gain life lessons from his experience. He tells us about the storm, about the preparation, about the journey, about wanting to give up but not doing so. So we do not listen and, and, and listen thinking that he wants us to climb Mount Everest literally. Uh, rather, we learn to prepare for our own life journeys. We learn to persevere and we learn to triumph. So that is what in this book Kendrick is giving to us. He is presenting characteristics and outcomes. Okay, So he's saying that proximity creates opportunity. Fun amplifies grace. And uh, that's the next chapter that I want to talk about. Fun Amplifies Grace is chapter 7 in this book, and it is my pick for the bad chapter. And first of all, I want to say that uh, talking about fun within the church is a hard topic, <laughs> maybe an unwise topic. I have heard John Piper criticize a pastor <laughs> when the idea was brought out that church should be fun. So he was quite quick to, <laughs> to point out that... Uh, but. But you see, I, I, he qualifies it, and uh, I don't have a lot of time to talk about this because that's not the point of this, uh, this episode. But he qualifies it, and he explains that um, a lot of times when we talk about fun, it, it's a response. Uh, he, it's because the culture is so fun-obsessed, where everything good, valuable, uh, strengthening uh, is, is 
is diminished if it's not fun. <laughs> All right, so he, he's very sensitive. John Piper is very sensitive to the word fun. And unfortunately, uh, I think I'm also a bit more careful about when I say fun. And that was difficult for me when I was the youth uh, director because <laughs> youth, fun, it comes together, right? But I have learned um, uh, through trial and experience how to balance it out. Anyways, anyways, uh, I was, because of my background, okay? So I shared with you my background. I share with you what John Piper has, how John Piper has influenced me. So I was looking forward to see how Kendrick would support the idea of fun in the radical Christian community. Because if he can give me a biblical a model, a theological model of, uh, of fun in the church, um, that would that would be good. I, I think that would be very something that uh, a big contribution to the church. And uh, it didn't start very well. He starts this chapter with a prank, and maybe I'm just a stick in the mud. But it's a prank that he and the friend he pranked think is funny, but I don't. I would think it's very annoying. And anyway, uh, so I don't think it's funny. So I don't think it's fun. So when in the beginning of the chapter, <laughs> you, we have the, the, the writer and the reader have different ideas of what is fun, that's not a good start. Uh, but anyways, I just continue on and I ask that you do so too if you read this book. And he then gives biblical support for fun, amplifies grace. He quotes uh, Proverbs 17 verse 22, uh, a cheerful heart, etc., then you have Proverbs 15, verse 30, a cheerful look, okay, etc. So this, so this, so the key word he wants to look here, look here is cheerful. Okay, cheerful, joy, fun, they are related. I think it's still a stretch. Because uh, cheerful, I wanted to see more substance about fun amplifies grace. You say cheerfulness amplifies grace, I think there is no no tension. But if you say fun amplifies grace, I think it means something else. So anyways, uh, he continues on. So Kendrick then describes how he goes to the zoo and these animals having fun and so on. And I was thinking, where, where are you going with this? And then he then quotes uh, Romans uh, 1 verse 20, where it does say that uh, God's invisible qualities are seen in what has been made, what God has made. So God made animals, the animals have fun, therefore God is one has the quality of having fun. I think that's still a stretch because I still see the divide between the creator and the creature. I think there's still a big gap between. I don't think it's uh, the, that you can interpret uh, Romans 120 that way, but uh, I still think it's a stretch. Maybe I'm just being too difficult. So let's continue on. The part that again made me question his interpretation or the way he approaches um, this topic. I don't want to say the way he approaches the Bible because um, it's not fair to say that about one, one, uh, one aspect. You see, he writes in this book, uh, God is described in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11 as the happy God. Okay? Uh, I don't remember reading happy God in my Bible in any of the books, in any of the verses. So I checked. I, I could be wrong. So in the ESV, that same verse uh, that he quotes does not read the happy God. It reads the blessed God. 
And that's also how it's translated in the NET, HCSB, and the NIV, and the NLT. And for completeness, I checked the BibleHub.com, which has more translations than I have in Logos. And BibleHub, I go through all the translations, and none of their translations says, Happy God. So, I am not happy because he has, he has somehow translated the word or stretched the blessed word so that it can say what he hopes it means. And I think that is a very dangerous step for a, by, for a Christian to take because you just want to change it to make it fit your own thinking. Um, and it wouldn't have been so bad if he argued that the Greek word covers a multitude of meanings and he therefore says that one of the meanings that fits with the verse actually uh, suggests that God is happy here. But that would be too much work for the general reader. And he is writing this book not for scholars or seminarians. He is writing for the average Joe. So he doesn't go through his processes um, to show us his workings on how he gets happy God. But because he doesn't do that, that means that the average Joe would think that having fun is biblically supported on a verse that does not exist. And because the examples he used in the book, <laughs> so he has the prank that he pulled and also a particularly embarrassing situation where he laughed at himself. It seems that fun, I mean, how is that fun? <laughs> I, I, okay, you haven't read the book, but it's difficult for me to see the fun that he's describing, um, especially when he tries to pull from scripture. Again, Kendrick at one point uh, paints a scenario from the Bible. So you have Jesus after the resurrection. He's at the seashore. The disciples are on the boat. Then uh, he calls out, do you have any fish? Kendrick says that uh, Jesus here is being playful. Okay, that's an interesting way to describe. And maybe he's right. Jesus is being cloy, is being playful, is being uh, having fun. In another story, again, after the resurrection, Jesus meets the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and he disappears. Kendrick writes, I quote, Finally, he opened their eyes and they recognized him. But as soon as they did, he disappeared. What was he up to? Once again, I'm pretty sure he was chuckling to himself. He was having fun. God has a sense of humor. End quote. I want to say over here that I do not doubt that God has a sense of humor. I think humans are made in the image of God. And in that sense, we have a good sense of humor, all right? Sometimes it's nasty sense of humor. And I think that's the problem I have with this book. I cannot distinguish between what is good sense of humor and bad sense of humor within the Christian and within the world. And because if you say authors have fun, you have uh, people having fun and so on, but sometimes people have fun by bullying others. So I think um, maybe that's a question that he didn't want to address, okay? So, all right. I, but I just want to say here once again that I believe fun is from God. I believe as Martin Luther did, which is quoted in the beginning of this chapter, um, Kendrick takes Martin Luther's a quote uh, and he said, if you are not allowed to laugh in heaven, I don't want to go there. End quote. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. 
I, I totally agree that there is fun in the Christian life. The problem is that I, was, I came to this chapter looking for a solid biblical foundation. Uh, I wanted to see that. And what I got was a desperate clenching of straws. I really don't see. To his credit, Kendrick does go through the Bible. He, does, he went through the Abraham and Sarah laughing. I think his interpretation is uh, it's okay. It's okay, but I think, again, he leans too much trying to make his point. He, I think he's overextended himself here again. Um, he, he also takes out the Jesus making wine at a party. Party! So Jesus obviously has no problems with people having fun. Yeah, yeah, I think that's actually one of the better examples. Uh, but it, I wouldn't say that it endorses uh, people having drunken parties, for example. So I again, that's the problem I have. I mean, how do you separate between good and bad fun? And uh, one good thing about uh, Kendrick in this chapter is that he manages to present a strong gospel message. Why? Because gos- the, the fun amplifies grace. And you cannot talk about grace without talking about the gospel. So I think that's all right. I think that's good. Um, so he does present the gospel message in this chapter. Um, and he, he also addresses the theme of the book. So he says that fun and joy is not boxed up in the individual. It's, not, it's something for the community. So biblical joy is a community experience. So great, I agree with him on that. So there is much to agree on this chapter, but uh, I, I just think that it doesn't provide enough support to say that God is a happy God. He's, he's hap- God is happy when he... Ah, there is joy. I, I guess the problem is the word happy, isn't it? Uh, how Happy has its own connotations. Um, and fun also has its own connotations. And at the moment, in this uh, entertainment, obsessed uh, culture, uh, it doesn't seem to have a positive connotation, a positive nuance or meaning. And you could read this chapter and say that I don't see the problem. I think uh, Kendrick makes great points and has abundantly proven his case that fun amplifies grace. I disagree. I still think that you need a lot more to say on the pulpit that the Bible wants us to have fun. I think that that case is, I think that conclusion is uh, agreeable for all, but I think that it's not um, straightforward from this uh, chapter. It's easy for us to see that the Bible wants us to have joy. Uh, It's easy to see that the Bible wants us to be blessed. Have fun, the concept needs to be qualified so that we can distinguish the world's fun and gospel fun, uh, Spurgeon's fun, Piper's fun, what going to church camp, church retreat, uh, youth camp, uh, Christmas concert, uh, those fun. I think that this chapter has not done enough to show us that distinguishing mark, that peculiar sense of fun that God truly delights in. And I think that's a, a missed opportunity for this chapter. So I've done the good, the bad, and now let us go to the conclusion. Kendrick got into this intentional community. He describes how in the earlier chapters, chapter 1, 2, uh, two and 3, I think, that how this uh, life together um, came about. And he experienced it first at a visit to somewhere else. And then he came back and took a bigger and bigger steps into a radical Christian community. Now, the way he writes, it is not, I read this in the Bible and now I obey and do it. It's a lot more of, I did it, I experienced it, and and I confirm it by reading the Bible. 
Now that sounds a bit harsh, um, as if he's cherry picking uh, the Bible, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that um, that is how the book reads, and and in, even if it's true, it's not. There's nothing wrong with Christians doing something and testifying that what they do is in accordance with the Bible. I just think that. Like the, like the chapter about the fun amplifies grace, that in the desire to confirm something that is good, he stretches the Bible to say what it does not say with the confidence that Kendrick says it does. So it's, he's making too much of those things. So, so it's not a good case study for hermeneutics. So I think there's a problem here. On the other hand, there are parts where I appreciate a Kendrick tie in theology with practice. So he does talk about theology. Um, I'm, a, I'm a theology geek, so I appreciate that. So one notable example is how he explains that God is a community. He explains the triune God and, and the triune God, the community God, God the Father, the, uh, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is who God is. And from who God is, this is who we are and how we are to respond, how we are to behave. So I like how he does that. And I wish he did more of that. Um, and this is probably my main criticism of the book and with the entire approach, okay? With the entire theme or approach of the book and, and also perhaps Vox Church. The approach is very much in line with the spirit of the age where it's pragmatic and results focused. I mean, if you just look at the seven elements carefully, okay, the seven elements, you will see that they all describe results. Vulnerability creates connection. That's a result. You do something and you produce something. Discipleship sets direction. Mission drives adventure. These are all result statements. A becomes B. B produces C. So, I don't think that's what the church is. <laughs> and though I say church, and Kendrick is also saying church, I think what he often describes is community. And he has made the two synonymous. And uh, okay, let me explain why this may be a problem. Um, remember I said that God is a community and that is true. It is also true that God is love, God is just, God is almighty, and so on. So it would be a mistake to reduce God to being just a community. And it would also be a mistake to diminish God, who is a community. When I say community, I mean triuna, the trinity. I suggest that in the same way, when we read this book, we should read this as describing one aspect of the church, which is the church is a community. But the church is also more than that. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the royal priesthood of believers and so on. The Bible has many, many images of the church. So Kendrick uh, does unpack some of that. So he does unpack the church is the body of Christ. So he does unpack that. But overall, it's too focused on the community. And thus, if you want to get a proper uh, idea of a wholesome, a, a fully developed uh, idea of what the church is, you probably need to read other books or read other concepts. Otherwise, you get a distorted uh, church if you only, only think about it as a community. Let me explain using a contrast. One of the more famous books uh, about church is The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. 
And as I list his nine marks, I want you to compare with what you have heard from The Sacred Earth by Justin Kendrick. According to uh, Mark Dever, the nine marks are number one, preaching, two, biblical theology, three, the gospel, four, conversion, five, evangelism, six, membership, seven, discipline, eight, discipleship, nine, leadership. So you could say that's not fair. If I put it that way, then um, saying that there's only one way of writing about the church and it should be according to the outline of the nine marks, that's Precisely my point, there are many ways of reading what the church is. And what we have read from Justin Kendrick um, is simply a one aspect of it, but it's not the full aspect, the, the fullness of what the church is. And I think that uh, for the careful Christian, for the, for the Christian who wants to love the church and know more about the church, we need to read more. And one of my go-to books uh, on the church is Strangers and Sojourners by Greg Allison. I have found his book to be the most helpful and most um, clarifying in, in thinking about the church. I can, for example, here I can recognize that Kendrick's approach to church is in what are the results. So the telos. Okay? So he's interested in what is the outcome of, this, uh, of what you do in church. And the tension I experience when I read his book has come about because I think of the church on, by what it is, the ontology. So that's why when I read Kendrick, I feel a sense of tension because he speaks too much about the outcome, whereas I'm, I'm expecting to read something about what the church is. The church is the bride of Christ, for example. So that's why I enjoy uh, Greg Allison's book. It's a bit more scholarly. I, I understand that. I don't apologize for it. I'm just saying that it is more scholarly, but I think that it's a really good primer to understand all the other books on church that we will read. Now, does that mean, now let me just conclude with this uh, statement. Uh, does that mean that you and I can't gain from Kendrick's book? Not at all. I think he has achieved most of what he set out to do. He aims to call us to a radical form of Christian community. And I just want to say that many have done so before. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Francis Schaeffer, and I welcome the many experiments and testimonies and lessons that we can learn from our brothers and sisters as they wrestle with obeying the word to be the church. So even though there are some negatives in the book, but I truly appreciate what he has done, what he is preaching about we need to be closer, we need to uh, have more, more proximity, uh, we need to be closer to one another, uh, we need to be a stronger form of the church. I truly think there is a problem in the church today, and this book actually does uh, point us in some of the problems and some of the solutions. So, um, with that, um, this is a Reading and Readers review of The Sacred Us, a call to radical Christian community by Justin Kendrick. 240 pages published by David C. Cook in September 2022. Available in Amazon Kindle for $9.99 and in Faith Life for February, it's at a deep discount of $4.99, half the price of Kindles. And if you have not done so, please subscribe to Reading and Readers, a podcast where reading provides opportunities and readers create connections. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.